1: holiday show so you were you were telling me earlier that you had like early christmas this weekend what did you what happened
0: yeah we had pre-christmas this is um
1: how did you get santa to come to your house early does it cost extra and can i do it
0: well i signed up for santa prime and i (laughs) pay santa 50 bucks a year to build toys in my house and so (laughs) brings me crap whatever i want
1: (laughs) i heard about that i heard that there's a lot of good stuff available on santa instant video
0: (laughs) what's the one where santa just delivers pineapples to you is that santa fresh what's that called
1: um i think that's santa locker
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's when santa leaves your stuff in a trash can on the street He tells you where it is later Welcome to Overdue. This is your favorite Santa fan cast uh and also podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig.
1: And my name is Santa. I mean Andrew.
0: <laughs> Andrew.
1: Oh man, um, my secret is out.
0: We know. We had early Christmas at uh my mom's house just yesterday. Wow. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wow, it seems like so long ago. Uh, it's huh? a blur and it's a blurry <laughs>
0: flat circle. Um and we are flying to scenic Iowa uh, soon for actual Christmas. Sure. And so we had to get other Christmas to happen first, uh, which is cool. It's weird because then like, you st- I don't know about I don't know about your family. We still do the occasional Santa gift, like the occasional like I just I got you this thing, but I probably didn't need to, so it's from Santa.
1: Yeah, right. every now and again you'll see Santa on a thing. Yeah, I thought you that You know at was... this point, at this point I'm like 60% sure that Santa is not real. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, the the thing that really drove it home for me was when uh on this particular gift this year, someone had written what looked like Banta and <laughs> my <laughs> My mom uh, wanted the gift to be from Santa, accidentally started writing mom, and then crossed out the M with an S. It sounds
1: like a Star Wars alien gave you a Christmas present.
0: I got got a a cool running Under Armour shirt from Banta, Santa Claus. Uh, Wait,
1: a cool runnings branded Under Armour (laughs) shirt? (laughs) That sounds
0: awesome. It's an objectively hip running shirt, I suppose. I don't know. It's not hip. okay. As hip as a shirt designed to make you sweat less can be.
1: I think if you're describing things as hip, you're automatically less hip. (laughs) That's just me. That's...
0: (laughs) All right. So this week is our holiday
1: cast, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So normally one of us reads a book and then explains it to the other. But this week, we each read a different holiday story. And and we're going to just, it'll be like too many episodes in one. So, married holidays, everybody.
0: Yep. That's what we got. Craig, what did you read? Oh, okay. Tell me about it. I read uh, A Kidnapped Santa Claus by L. Frank Baum. All right. Do you recall who L. Frank Baum is, Andrew? Hit me.
1: L. Frank Baum is uh, the guy who wrote the Wizard of Oz books. Yes. And we talked about him. Back in episode something or other. Now like he might predate ago. our episode ten. Yeah, he probably of
0: predates our more rigorous, like tell you about the author format. I think.
1: Yeah, I think he does. So, do you have anything to tell me about him? I have a couple things. All right, hit me.
0: Um, he wrote the Wizard of Oz books.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> want to know that? I already did that one. Is that all he have? Which, there were like thirteen of those. There were like way too many of those. Right.
1: Yeah, there are a bunch of them, because I I think that that, as we talked about in that podcast, that's one of the works of literature where the movie, based on it, has kind of taken it over. But if you read the book, it's actually way different. Yeah. And it has it spawned a whole like subsequent mythology that a lot of people don't know about.
0: I was impressed also that he created a stage musical of The Wizard of Oz a scant two years after that book came out. <laughs> and it was apparently very different. Uh, but still, a huge success, and, and apparently not the same musical that still gets performed now. Because I've seen bad performances of that.
1: Well, because uh, as as I recall, like some of the songs from that original one have not survived, right? No, like,
0: no, no, no. They did yeah. not. They were not part of the film. So who knows what what happened there? Um, Baum was born in 1856. He died in 1919. Uh, he was a writer from a young age. He was. Apparently a sickly child who <laughs> spent a lot of time indoors. Cool. Uh, his dad gave him a printing press when he was young, so he was writing stuff in his teens. Uh, and according to Wikipedia, the favorite source of all, for, of all things, and I cannot elaborate on this for you. I've, I have no other information than this one sentence that I need okay, to share. Great.
1: I can already tell this is going to be really satisfying.
0: <laughs> At 20 years, Baum took on the then-national craze, The breeding of fancy poultry.
1: What are the odds that that is a Wikipedia joke? It could be that someone put that in. Like, is there a citation? No, obviously there's not. So I feel like this. I feel like we're getting punked by Wikipedia. We getting punked? Ashton Kutcher, is that you? Are you editing Wikipedia? He wrote things called.
0: Book of the Hamburgs: A brief treatise upon the mating, rearing, and management of the different varieties of hamburgs.
1: Is that short for hamburgers?
0: Uh, could have been uh, chicken burgers. I'm not okay. sure. Um, so he was into chickens. We know that much. Uh, he also wrote. Well, his first successful book was the Mother uh, Mother's Goose stories, where he took a bunch of the like Mother's Goose tales. Mother Goose Tales, excuse me. keep saying Mother's Goose. Mother's (laughs) Goose. Uh, And took them out of, like, rhyming poetry or whatever and just gave gave them, like, prose context for easier reading, I think. And he kind of had avowed as a children's writer that even if stories had violence or, or darker things in them, they were not there, that violence was not there to teach, like, very strict moral lessons. Like, he wanted to write stories that would entertain and please children rather than you know oh well like the grim fairy tale like he was not into that he wanted to kind of remake that in an american vernacular
1: or just terrible things happen to kids all the time
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so he seemed which i think will fit into where this story goes um it's worth noting that there are two things on uh bomb's kind of Rap sheet that are a little problematic, which are some editorials that he wrote after um, the battle at Wounded Knee when Sitting Bull died. And he may or may not have said some things that are pretty bad about Native Americans.
1: Cool. And maybe he was just mad and it cleared up later, though, right? Like Maybe... <laughs>
0: maybe? Or (laughs) some people have tried to say that he was being like sarcastic and ironic, and that feels like a very 21st century response (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) to me. I'm not sure that that's what was going on.
1: Did you see L. Frank Baum's Twitter? Did you see what he (laughs) tweeted about Native Americans? It's written. You
0: can't see the sarcasm when he writes it, guys. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. It's just, I think it's worth pointing that out, mostly just from where we were as a country at the time, like, that might not be worth discrediting what else he gave to american literature um but it, I, it's always worth taking the the bad with the good I
1: think. yeah it's 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 rough because if you're gonna discount the art of everybody who is terrible like you're not gonna have a lot left well you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be honest
1: fair enough all right
0: take a look at my rap she's get out of here <laughs>
1: you're recording this from jail <laughs>
0: This is a global telelink call from jail. My name's Craig.
1: <laughs> what is the deal? Okay, who kidnapped Santa and why?
0: Okay, so first things first, you need to know that this Santa is not your Santa. This is L. Frank Baum's Santa. What? So what L. Earth Frank does Baum also wrote uh, like a collection of stories, like a children's book called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. <laughs> Where he kinda I don't know why. Like i there's not a lot about the book that I've been able to find other than like plot summaries. And it basically recontextualizes Santa in this fairy world that Bomb made up. So Santa Claus was and this is not in the story that I read, but it's it's part of the same Santa Claus verse or whatever you want to call it, I don't know. <laughs> But Santa Santa first. Yeah, he was found as a baby in the forest of Burzee, where like fairies and wood nymphs and gnomes and all these things live. And then he started inventing toys um, for other mortal children. And eventually he becomes Santa Claus and he makes toys for the other, you know, mortal kids. And they decide that he's allowed to take the reindeer out once a year because that's as much as the reindeer can handle, I guess. And. Then, when he turns 60, he's getting kind of old, and all of the council of fairies and gnomes or whatever of the forest decide to make him immortal so that he can be Santa Claus forever.
1: I'm glad you can just be voted into immortality. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no.
1: Excuse is that me? what Dancing with the Stars is about? <laughs> if you want Carlton to be immortal, text Carlton's Carlton immortal to, to 6775. Carlton and Ricky Martin will be with us forever. Yeah, and Donny Osmond. Well, I don't can't wanna, wait.
0: I don't want to be part of this Santaverse anymore. <laughs> um, actually, it sounds it sounds far more Transformers. They bestowed the mantle of immortality on Santa Claus. Cool. Um, plus one to living forever, I guess. Yes. Um, so he decides that he is going to just, you know, now he's Santa Claus forever. He didn't decide anything. He's immortal. <laughs> Um, but all of that is like the weird context for this short story that I didn't know about before I started reading it. So the short story, Santa lives in a castle in the laughing Valley. Okay. Sure. Great. And all of these, you know, fairy creatures work for him and make all the toys in his castle. And on one side of the castle is the forest where he was found as a baby. And on the other side of the castle is the caves of, are the caves of the demons. Sure. Because that seems to make the most sense. Still with you. In the caves are five demons, Andrew. Selfishness, envy, hatred, malice, and repentance. And Doc. And Sleepy. <laughs> and George. <laughs> Uh, so the, when kids go into the cave of selfishness, then they walk into the cave of envy and then they walk into the cave of hatred and then the, ma- the malice and then repentance. I think you're, you're, be- you might be beginning to pick up on what's.
1: Sure. One of them snags you down. and then you'd get pulled down into all of them. Yeah. Well, they're
0: pretty mad at Santa Claus because when he makes toys, all the kids are happy and none of them come to the demon
1: caves. Okay. <laughs> Because I think like these sad kids with ennui just come into the demon caves well, to, I think
0: to, I think the way it works is that like if you feel something <laughs> if you're a, a selfish kid, you go to the cave of the demon of selfishness, mm-hmm. like if you're being bad, you like go to the caves I, I don't, the literal the reality of this is somewhat tenuous um. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so the Santa's the the Santa's the demons are all complaining to themselves that they're getting lonely because Santa Claus is giving out so many good gifts that the children never come around. So they go up to Santa and they're trying to like tempt him away from his work. All right, mm-hmm. they're like, "Why don't you keep all those toys for yourself?" This is the demon of selfishness talking, right? And then uh, Santa's like, "Nah, whatever. Those kids are cool." They they like my toys. It's fine. They can keep the toys.
1: They're fine. They're good for it.
0: And then the the demon of envy comes up and he's like, "Hey, those those toy shops, they're stealing all your business, Santa, and they get paid, and you don't. What's the deal? Don't you hate those guys?" And he's like, "Nah, it's fine. I can only give toys one day a year. They give toys all year round. They're important."
1: This suggests that Santa builds all of his own toys. Which... Yes, he does. My like is Santa up there building playstations for everybody. I've is... always been troubled with Santa's in a
0: modern context because the only Santa that makes sense to me, the only elves that make sense, are the ones that build things out of wood. They build like rocking horses.
1: Yeah, it's like a hundred percent wood rocking horses. Yeah, <laughs> back when that was the only gift you could give, and any maybe kid.
0: a sled. Like I could, an elf could build a toboggan. Like I can get behind that.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But how is an
0: elf gonna make me an iPhone?
1: I don't know. I don't know if, if Steve Jobs negotiated some kind of contract with, with Santa and his elves. Like, I just assume if you work in the consumer electronics industry, you have to broker a deal with Santa. Yeah, probably. You're allowed to sell however you want the other 364 days of the year. but In all of the tech conferences
0: you've been to, Andrew, have you seen any elves walking around, like cutting deals?
1: I don't know. I think the Santa booth, I haven't ever gotten invited to it yet. It's very exclusive. It's hidden. They have it all the way in some weird hotel in Vegas.
0: You have to go up a chimney to get there? You have to, yeah,
1: you have. To, well, you have to go to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. <laughs> Once you do that, okay. you have to fool a Sphinx with a riddle. Or maybe uh-huh. the other way around. I don't Wait. know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is Ella why I haven't Sphinx seen... A riddle. <laughs> yeah. You have to fool him. And then from there, it's mostly paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: a lot of uh,
1: non-disclosure agreements. Just a lot of red tape. Embargoes. You can't yeah, you can't meet with Santa and tell anybody. A lot of
0: it. red and green tape. To, you ever to see an interview
1: your... with Santa? That stuff is so controlled, like... You know Santa's PR is all over that.
0: You said interview with Santa, and I thought that Anne Rice had written a Santa Claus book. (laughs) Interview with a Santa. (laughs) Interview with a Santa Claus. Um, So, okay, meantime, in the (laughs) bombiverse. in the meantime, the demons are trying to tempt Santa. It's like the last temptation of Santa over here, all right? Mm -hmm. And they can't get him to stray.
1: (laughs) So, they decide what... (laughs) It's the last temptation of Santa. (laughs) Imagining uh, Santa in the desert. And so they try and give him candy canes and he's like, No, I don't want your candy canes.
0: I can't go farther with this, it's gonna get bad. <laughs> um <they're laughs> So they give up on turning Santa evil. It just won't take, all right? And so they decide that they're gonna kidnap Santa Claus. When is the good time to kidnap Santa Claus, Andrew, do you think? December
1: 24th, probably, yep. right? Yep,
0: because that's the only day of the year he leaves his castle, um, and you have to get him away from his castle. So they wait until he's like flying through the sky with his reindeer, and they lasso him out of the sky, Andrew. <laughs> they shoot a rope at the sleigh and pull him out of the sleigh. I tried to like Wikipedia how hard it is to like lasso a cow. That is a hard thing to Wikipedia, by the way. But I don't think that that's very easy. Even if these people are demons,
1: I've never. They've been... had all year to practice. I'm going to give it to them. <laughs> I'm. I think it's fine. Enough I'm having no trouble suspending my disbelief. Okay,
0: okay. I'm trying to poke okay. holes in this story. Um, but m- what the demons did not know is that Santa's little helper friends were also in the sleigh at the time they were like sitting under his chair like no joke they were under his seat in the sleigh like hanging out mm-hmm. and they didn't know that he was gone until they didn't hear him singing anymore and they, <laughs> <laughs> and they came out and they're like oh snap <laughs> Santa's gone uh, and they were like well maybe we gotta go find him and then one of- one of the guys piped up Um, These guys are named uh, Neuter the Rill, Peter the Nook, Kilter the Pixie, and uh, Whisk the Fairy. All right, all creatures in this weird bomb averse of Santa.
1: Sure, this is turning into a Rankin yeah, Bass movie. It was a Rankin Bass movie.
0: Excuse me, it was one of the last Rankin Bass movies.
1: Oh, did they really do it?
0: Uh, I think they made uh, they made one of the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus or whatever it was. Of like did it the incorporate elements of this. Or? I think it did. Yes. Okay. Man, um, that's
1: crazy. Yeah. I only know the the big classics like a uh, year without a Santa Claus is always good. That's the heat miser snow miser one. Uh huh. Uh huh. And um, Santa Claus is coming to town, which is the one where you see how he became Santa Claus. It was like behind the presents for Santa. Like yeah. VH ones VH ones behind the presents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> behind the presents. More presents. <laughs> hopefully um so the the fairies decide that they're going to give out all the presents anyway because santa would be sadder if that didn't happen they only mess up two presents they give one girl who wanted a doll a drum and they give one kid who wanted boots i think they gave him like a sewing kit (laughs) it's fine i guess so then they go to the fairy queen to find out what happened to santa and in like one paragraph she's like oh well dip the demons did it probably that's what happened (laughs) Um, so they decide to mount an army to get Santa back. And meanwhile, Santa is like tied up in the caves of the demons and they're all taunting him. And then what, how do you think he gets out, Andrew? Trickery? What? Trickery. Nope. He's an upstanding guy.
1: Um, Santa magic.
0: Nope. No need.
1: You're going to have to help me out then.
0: The demon of repentance, get this, repents. And let Santa go.
1: The demon? What?
0: So the fifth demon was the demon of repentance, right? So all the kids who go through these caves, they get to the last cave, they hang out with the demon of repentance, and then they get to leave the caves. Are you beginning to get a picture of the moral that Baum is putting in this Santa Claus story?
1: That doesn't... Like what you hit rock bottom, and then you <laughs> and then you redeem yourself. What is it is the... that it's that bad behavior will
0: always exist in the world, okay, but that it's important that repentance be an option so that you can go back and join the rest of society after you've been a bad little boy. So in this world, Santa does not delineate between naughty or nice. He wants to give presents to everyone. But Santa and there's kno- always a way to save yourself. But Santa acknowledges that people are always good and always bad. Um, so what happens is the and I, I found this actually pretty satisfying for the end of a children's story. Like the the repentance demon, you know, lets Santa go, um, and he's like, he's even like the other demons are going to be mad at me, but this is what I have to do because I kind of feel bad about it. He lets Santa go, and all the other magical creatures who work for Santa are showing up, like, ready to kill all the demons, because they can. (laughs) And Santa's like, no, you guys, we can never truly kill them, because these things will always exist, and they have their place in the world, and we just have to go do our jobs. So it's kind of like Batman and the Joker, I guess. (laughs) Like, they... (laughs) Like they'll always like
1: Santa needs the the yes. Christmas demons to, <laughs> the demons to exist, or do the demons only exist because of Santa? How about that possible. one?
0: <laughs> or Santa's just as crazy as the demons are, only because he wears a cape too, right?
1: It's not not the Santa that we need right now. <laughs>
0: it's the Santa we deserve. <laughs> I so it's a fine story it was simpler than i expected though having not read a lot of bomb myself i, I guess i had no idea what to expect
1: but it sounds surprisingly i don't know if even handed is the word but like it acknowledges that bad stuff is gonna happen yeah it's a pretty and that it needs to happen even
0: i i actually find the the cave of demons conceit actually very intelligent and. Uh, well thought out as a term Mm. in in a way of like thinking about the behavior of people and especially children
1: does everybody get to the repentance demon or Does everyone yes okay i was wondering if they sometimes got hung up on on a particular demon and could never get past him because that that would be maybe a little bit bleaker but it's yeah it's a it it makes more sense as a children's book if everybody eventually gets to the point where they realize that they are being bad and and can redeem themselves. and i think even
0: some of the other demons don't know that that's what happens like they talk about the repentance demons room kind of being a bit of a surprise or a bit of an unknown um to the other demons which is interesting cuz you you know i think the other demons kind of progress in a in a way that's elegant from bomb's perspective like you start with selfishness where you want things and then it moves into envy where you covet other people's things And then you hate them for having those things. And then you have malice towards them and want to do something bad to them. And then after you've done that bad thing. The dark side. Yeah.
1: And then then you you get to the Lucas demon. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh.
0: Then you make three terrible movies that undo. And then after you Uh make those
1: awful movies, you move on to the repentance demon.
0: (laughs) And the repentance demon takes your new ideas and sells them to Disney. (laughs) <laughs> and you go live the rest of your life on a ranch somewhere.
1: Yep. There you go.
0: Uh-huh. Nailed it. Uh and then you make American Graffiti 2 and everything <laughs> falls apart after that.
1: American Graffiti 2. More American Graffiti. More.
0: <laughs> American Graffiti Raiders of the Lost Street Art. Done.
1: <laughs> So you you like this one. It sounds like you – You it it seems like a different kind of Christmas story because often they are – I don't know if whitewash is the word, but often they're just – they're very simple narratively and, like, morally.
0: Yeah, it's – I think it's oddly simple from a narrative perspective. They're like, all of the conflict is very easily resolved and is almost written – Written in the in a way the, that a fairy tale is. Like, here's just the things that happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Goldilocks meets these three characters, and then she meets these other characters, and then she leaves, you know, the end. Um, in that way, it, there, like, there is this almost battle that occurs, and Santa's like, nah, it's fine, stop. Um, <laughs> which is kind of interesting, because from what I was reading, a battle does take place in the other Santa novel, uh, that he wrote and overall the Oz books got progressively less violent as well so I think it's interesting that Baum passed just before you know World War One got into its full throes because uh, he seemed to be he probably would not have liked that very much um yeah just because the the type of art that he was trying to create was was one of creating a a positive world for children mm-hmm. even if it acknowledges the negative aspects of the world which is tends to be what the best the better children's writing does
1: yeah, because if he'd been writing a, a more traditional fairy tale, I guess he would have written something where the kids got to the demon cave and then the demons just ate them and they were dead, dead kids.
0: Yeah, that would be the grim version, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or then, you know, the other perhaps more modern version is that like some kids have to come along and save Santa Claus and then they beat up the demons with Santa Claus. Like he Santa throws presents at them and like ban- like the demons explode and then... <laughs> Like they just ride a Christmas tree into the sky
1: or something. That's what I do. If you throw a present at me, man, (laughs) cannot handle it.
0: So it's pretty good. I would, you know, I I was reading this going, this is kind of weird, but if I had a kid, I might read it to it, you know, that's, yeah, the kid, I might read this book to the kid. If there was a kid (laughs) for me to read it to, how about that? Sure. Sound good to you?
1: Yeah, no that that's it's it's cool because I think that the Christmas canon in particular yes. is always in danger of like ossifying Precisely. because there seems to be there's this there's this kind of like baby boomer era image of Christmas that gets passed down from kid to kid like Charlie Brown Christmas all those Rankin Bass movies like those are the things that our parents watched when they were new, when they were kids, mm-hmm. and then we watched them because they watched them, and then you know, no kid of mine is going to go a December without watching Charlie Brown Christmas. So it's it's it feels like this book has kind of fallen out of the of the you know the guaranteed canon, like the the guaranteed list of things that most kids are going to experience. But well, maybe at they should. Christmas. Yeah, but maybe they should. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe there is more stuff like off the beaten path that would have a more nuanced or more original take on things that you're not going to find in, you know, in in watching Christmas Story on TBS a hundred times.
0: And maybe Christmas. some of that uh, might come from the fact that this is like a pre. I I, I would have to read some other. You know literature on this just to kind of see where it is but i'm putting the benchmark as after you know the great wars but the whole like christmas is too commercialized thing that seems like a 40s and onward feeling sure like we have to clear the depression for people to start worrying about that again <laughs> um and for so the like 19 teens and earlier christmas literature just feels a little different like, this is m- very much a fairy tale as opposed to some of the later, you know, li- latter 20th century Christmas. Stories. Right,
1: where it becomes more of a, like, religion versus commercialism kind yes. of thing. Yes, and it just
0: becomes, every, for the most part, Christmas stories, I mean, and this one does fall into this, it is all about saving Christmas. Oh, I, in, like, the long history of Christmas canon, <laughs> the majority of stories are about whether or not Christmas will happen this year. Um though that is like the perennial story of anyone's christmas, right?
1: I guess it just seems like christmas is, happens pretty reliably. Like yeah, but you Christmas but like, is like 24 where you're not really aware <laughs> that somebody is saving it but somebody's always saving it.
0: <laughs> That's fair. That's And fair. as my reference
1: to to the show 24. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh let's get off this christmas train. Let's
1: let's talk about Hanukkah. Let's hop on the Hanukkah caboose. Well, it doesn't all have right, to so, be a
0: caboose.
1: I, I think the caboose is cool.
0: All right, that's fair. Because it's
1: it's its own unique car. That's true. I, I don't I don't want to make I don't want to actually be making any statements about like Hanukkah relative to Christmas. Like they're all just out there. That's fair. <laughs> One does not follow the other like like necessarily. No, and, and um, Hanukkah is
0: my... cool because Hanukkah is like whenever it wants to be. Like Hanukkah plays this shell game of when it is during the calendar year. <laughs> Am I right?
1: But then it happens for a long time. It does. Like, okay, here's my here's my personal relationship to Hanukkah. Please. Um, my wife, her dad's family is Jewish. And I un, my understanding in the Jewish tradition is that does not mean anything because one gets one's Jewishness from the mother's side.
0: See, that's interesting. Because I, um, I don't know that my eighth Jewishness counts.
1: Yeah, I don't know that it does. Well, I mean, I think if you were gonna say that you are Jewish, yeah, it would need to be from the mother's side. And oh, I actually asked—I asked Susanna about that tonight, and she was like, "You know, I don't really know why that rule is a thing." <laughs> but um, you know, so even though like officially, I I don't think, you know, like traditionally, yeah um our our little family with me and her and the cat we don't we're not really a jewish family but there is some of the cultural jewishness that she really likes that okay. um, that i like to kind of participate in or like be a part of like i i stepped on the cup at our wedding you which did. i liked a lot
0: this you like you like anything that allows you to break something
1: i mean maybe that's not the only reason but it it's not not the reason <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this, this book is, I think it's used a little younger than L. Frank Baum's book. Like even, you know, that one's obviously getting toward like six or seven year olds Yes, or maybe even eight year olds. I don't remember when I started reading slightly longer books with fewer pictures, but that's that era of childhood. Mm -hmm. And this is definitely like predominantly a picture book. Okay. um, And what
0: is it? Was it called again?
1: It's called Herschel and the Hanukkah Goblins. It was written by Eric Kimmel and illustrated by Trina Schart-Hyman. Okay. And um, just looking at the copyright information on the inside of the book, um, the text was written in 1985 and then the illustrations were done in 1989. So I assume that Kimmel was kind of shopping this around for a while. And I I say I assume because I can't, uh, about this specific book, I can't find a whole lot of stuff. Yeah and even kimmel um you know he was born in 1946 he's still alive he's a he's an american jewish author and he's written a lot of uh, a lot of children's books and uh this this book probably is his most famous just by by virtue of it having won the caldecott honor yeah um he won he won
0: another one for or another couple awards for uh the hanukkah guest and he won another National Jewish Book Award for something called The Mysterious Guests. But I think those are pictures. Lots, picture, lots I, of
1: guests. I think those are just
0: picture books.
1: Yeah. Um, and then uh, Trina Schart-Hyman, uh, <laughs> born in 1939, died in 2004, and she illustrated over 150 books, which is a lot. That's crazy. But I just, I mean, just up front because I don't know that we're going to be able to talk as much about the the drawings in this book like they they totally make the book like she does some really cool stuff that is not even really pointed out in the text that's, oh, that's just, it, it's just it's just it, it it it's like how you can't have a Marie Sendak book without I was just going to
0: say yeah I was just going to yeah. say cuz we went to that Sendak exhibit um one of the times you were down here in Philly recently and I just forgot that that was, like, a part of picture books. <laughs> like
1: oh, yeah. No, absolutely. That,
0: that part of a picture book where, like, yes, there's the thing that's happening that is the main, that's, like, the protagonist of the book doing whatever the protagonist is doing. But in some books, there's always just, like, stuff happening in the background. Right. And yeah. I think more so in, in those types of books than it is in, like, a movie, there's room to... Put little nuggets in the
1: background. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, there is one example in particular that I want to point out just because it's so great, but just, okay. just know that every page has this big, beautiful art on it and the book would not be what it is without, without that. Can you just, think. can you
0: quantify the style at all, like without missing the mark? Or no, I know, mean, I'm putting you just, on the spot. I
1: just show it to you, I guess. Like it's, <laughs> I'm talking, like I'll show it to you and we'll, and we'll talk about it, but it's like very, you know it's it's very detailed mm-hmm. um it's it's you know full color but then once you start looking at the goblins like every one of the goblins like here's one that i'm showing you like oh, every one like, of the goblins it's has a very its distinct own, look yeah like has its own look and has its own character oh cool and um that that really let, let let's talk about the story a little bit okay sounds then, good and then we can talk about the individual goblins so uh, Herschel of Ostropole, who is actually, I think, a, a historical figure who appears yeah. in a lot of Jewish it's, literature,
0: It's like half historical figure, half folk hero. Like he yeah, he's yeah, and he's considered guy. to be
1: kind of a prankster.
0: Yeah, there's a. I don't know if you read any of the like boilerplate Herschel of Ostropole like stories. Some a of couple, them were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's one where he's like outside of an inn. Like, threatening the innkeeper by saying, I'll do what my father did if you don't feed me food or whatever. And so the innkeeper makes him all this food and lets him stay the night because he feels so scared. And he finally asks him, he's like, what, what did your father do? And Herschel says, Well, on cold nights like last night, my father was unable to find any food. He <laughs> went to bed hungry. And that's the end of the story. <laughs>
1: My favorite one is the uh, the goose one where Herschel loves goose feet. Okay. And he can never get goose feet. So he goes before dinner and cuts the foot off the goose so he can eat it. Uh-huh. And his father is like, did you take that goose foot? And Herschel's <laughs> like, no, maybe it was a one-footed goose. And his father is like, a one-footed goose, there's no such thing. And Herschel says, sure there is. I'll take you to see one after dinner. <laughs> He's going to take you to see the one-footed goose that he himself created because he loves goose feet.
0: <laughs> I read another one of that where he took him to, to see a bunch of real geese that were sleeping on one feet. And the dad clapped at one of the geese and it put its foot down. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, dad, you made that goose's foot appear. Why don't you just do that at the table?
1: Herschel of Osterpol. Oh, Herschel. He's, he seems like a pretty cool dude. Yeah. All right. So Herschel of Ostropol is going to the next village. Okay. And I don't know where he's coming from. Just going to the next his... village. Let yeah. He has like this, this This village is unnamed, but he's going to the next village. And okay. it's the first night of Hanukkah. So he wants to go and eat some potato latkes and just have a good old Hanukkah time. Like with anyone in particular or he's... Just, just... with the people who live in the village. <laughs> Herschel. Yeah. Come on in. Okay. Yeah. But in this village, there are no menorahs that are lit. Uh-oh. And the uh, old rabbi who lives in the town tells him it's because there is a haunted synagogue on the top of the hill and that there are goblins in there, and those goblins hate Hanukkah.
0: Is it haunted by goblins, or is it haunted and there are goblins?
1: There are, there are goblins. I say haunted. That book, that, that word, is, I don't think is actually used to Okay, be called, okay. But, Goblins are up there and they mess with people pretty much all year Mm -hmm. and they really hate Hanukkah. Okay. And, um, there is, there is a way to break their spell, but you have to fulfill a very specific set of criteria. Um, Herschel knew he must help the village people. I'm not afraid of goblins. He said, tell me how to get rid of them. It's not as easy as you think. The rabbi warned you must spend eight nights in the old synagogue. The Hanukkah candles must be lit each night. On the eighth night, the king of the goblins must light them himself. That is the only way to break their power. Stakes are pretty high. So he has got his job cut out for him. <laughs> so uh, the the people of the village give Herschel a big jar of pickles and... Uh, what is the other food item? I think it's hard-boiled eggs. That's it's great. Very, I read. I remember. Yes, hard-boiled eggs and pickles.
0: I I don't recall the specific events of this book. I remember reading it in elementary school. I'm having such flashbacks right now. I love this so much.
1: <laughs> so he he goes up to the synagogue, uh-huh. and he so so the deal is he has to light the candles for the first seven nights, and then on the eighth night he has to have a goblin king light the
0: candles. That seems and unlikely, Andrew yeah
1: well that's what you think <laughs> so he goes up there he's there on the first night and this little bat winged goblin comes up and starts bugging him and he's like i'm not gonna let you light that candle and um <laughs> all right so herschel and this goblin are arguing about hanukkah we don't allow hanukkah not around here is that so said herschel who's going to stop me a little pipsqueak like you I may be little, but I'm strong, said the goblin. Really? Can you crush rocks in your hand? asked Herschel. The goblin laughed. Crush rocks? You're joking. Nobody's that strong. I am. Watch. Herschel took a hard-boiled egg from his pocket and squeezed it until the yolk and the white ran through his fingers. That's how hard I'm going to squeeze you if you try to stop me from lighting these candles. The little goblin's eyes opened wide, since in the dim light the egg looked exactly like a rock. The little goblin shook with fear. You leave me alone, he squeaked. (laughs) So he's squeezing an egg and telling this goblin that it's a rock.
0: These goblins don't appear to be very smart, Andrew.
1: And it, Yeah, he is, He is. Th- this is setting the precedent of the book where he's going to trick all of these goblins in succession to, okay. to
0: letting, to, to it pretty much body. works?
1: Yeah, that works. The first goblin leaves, he's like, oh, one night's not a big deal. Great. You can't get through all eight nights. No way. Uh, so the second night, this big old fat goblin shows up. And Herschel's like, hey, have some pickles. And the goblin's like, man, I love pickles. And so he reaches his hand in the jar of pickles and tries to grab as many as he can, but he he can't get his hand out.
0: Oh, because he wants all the pickles at once. He
1: wants all the pickles. And Herschel lights the candles and he sings all his favorite Hanukkah songs. And then at the end, he's like, "Well, just let go of the pickles, and your hand will come out." Like he tr- he tricks the goblin into thinking that it's some kind of spell that he's put oh, on him that God. won't let his hand out of the pickle jar. These
0: goblins are killing and me. And then
1: the and then the goblin gets so mad that he stomps his feet until he breaks into a million pieces. What? <laughs> and the wind blows him away. No, that's <laughs> unlikely. Listen, man, don't don't. Okay, now we're to the third goblin, who I think is my favorite because. Okay. For no reason in particular, his nose, I'm going to show you this picture so you know what I'm talking about. His nose is covered in noses. noses. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. And so for, for the third goblin, uh, Hersel is playing with a dreidel. And he says, you know, he, he tricks the goblin into playing the dreidel with him. He gets the goblin to put down a lot of gold. And uh, Herschel says, you know, if one letter comes up, you give me a handful of gold. If another one comes up, you give me half your gold. If another one comes up, you give me all your gold. And then the last one, he says, if the dreidel falls on the last one, I won't give you anything. And if you write those all down on paper, you might realize that Herschel has set it up so that the goblin can only ever give him anything, and he never gives the
0: goblin. Yeah, the goblin wasn't paying real good attention. Yeah,
1: so he tricks him, and the goblin's like, man, I don't like Hanukkah, and I don't like you. I'm out of here. (laughs) Well,
0: why do I feel like the goblin could have also, like, eaten the menorah on his way out?
1: I'm not saying he couldn't have done that, but these goblins all apparently have a one-track mind. That's fine. All right. Yep. That's cool. And then... uh... Kimmel kind of glosses over the next few goblins. Well, he like, sets up a,
0: a pattern and then it kind of just moves.
1: Yeah, so. and he's like, oh, the, the the following night's other goblins came. And that's fine. Like, you got to assume that Herschel fooled them all. Okay. And then on the last night, the king of the goblins shows up. And Herschel's like, I don't believe you're the king of the goblins. You should light these candles so I can see you better. And so the king of the goblins, one by one, lights all the Hanukkah candles. <sighs> And that's how Herschel wins. And then what happens to the king of the goblins? Um, Him and all in the whole synagogue just gets blown away. And there's nothing left, not even the foundation stones. What happened to Herschel? Herschel's still standing there. Okay. Um, here, Here's the illustration. Him and the menorah are still on the top of the hill. Because mm-hmm. he won. Mm-hmm. And then he goes down to the village to celebrate Hanukkah with everybody.
0: Good job, Herschel
1: here's we sometimes do struck me funnies i wish we did it more more oh yeah but it doesn't always happen um the thing in this book that really really got me because Susanna actually she read it to me first (laughs) i guess she wanted me to have an authentic children's book experience that's pretty great i know um and so (laughs) herschel is going up to the synagogue uh, the villagers wished Herschel good luck. They had no potato latkes to give him, so they packed several hard-boiled eggs for him to eat, along with a big jar of pickles. The rabbi gave Herschel a brass menorah, a package of candles, and a box of matches. Then the villagers said goodbye. Nobody expected to see Herschel again. Whoa. <laughs> so they just think they're sending Herschel off to his death. They could... Oh,
0: There's no one in that town... Just like the Lake Man and the
1: Hobbit. They think they're sending the dwarves up to get eaten by a dragon, but then the dragon comes and it, he breathes fire on everybody. Mm. Just like the Hobbit. Just like
0: the Hobbit. A hundred percent. You just copied the Hobbit.
1: Retro. Yeah. I, well, no, I guess he did actually copy the Hobbit.
0: He didn't. It's fine.
1: No, he didn't actually. So that's, that's Herschel and the hobbit You
0: seem like to have enjoyed it.
1: I liked it a lot. Yeah. And I like the I like the art and I just like that Herschel was was super smart I and mean, he hoodwinked everybody. I like a good hoodwink.
0: Yeah, you like it when people kind of play tricks on people. Do you that's think that's me.
1: because you
0: don't play many tricks on people?
1: I wish I was good enough to play tricks on people.
0: I feel like I would play more tricks on people if I wasn't worried that people will get mad. Because I don't think I would like it if people played tricks on me.
1: Here's the thing, is that playing tricks on someone, like hoodwinking someone, is the pre-internet form of trolling.
0: Yeah, it really is. And
1: I I do think trolling is really funny. So Herschel is trolling these goblins.
0: (laughs) Get it? He's trolling them?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then um, another thing in this book that I thought was was neat is that in the back of the book, you know, separate from the story, is... um, Eric Kimmel writes a writes a really, you know, short and straightforward explanation of like the Hanukkah miracle where. Uh, oh, nice. Where uh, in 164 BC, a small band of Jewish soldiers defeated the Syrian army. Then they rebuilt and cleaned the temple. When they tried to relight the menorah, they found only a tiny bit of pure oil. It was enough to last for just one day. By some miracle, the oil burned for eight days. And so that's the, you know, that's the root of the Hanukkah thing. And then, you know, he he explains that and then he explains what the menorah is and what lakas are and, you know, how to actually play dreidel when you're not trying to trick a goblin out of all of his gold. I
0: feel like I had like a whole lesson built around this book as a kid, like in elementary school. I feel like we sat down and read that book because that's a great place to put that information is right. after because, that story.
1: Because I bet and I'm not I don't I didn't go to school with you. I mean that early. I went to school with you later, and and by then we were not reading Herschel and the Hog Goblins no. in, in English class. <laughs> but um, you know, I I bet that you and I, I think both went to a school where one could assume that the majority of everybody was like American Christian homogenized. Um. Whatever. I, would, I
0: think I might have had more Jewish people in my school than you did. I was talking to Laura about okay. this actually earlier. I probably
1: today. I, yeah. I had like we had like the one Jewish kid, and I was like, wow.
0: No, great. we. I definitely. You know, I can. It wasn't a lot. I wouldn't. You know, it wasn't certainly wasn't the majority of people in my school, but I think just being on the East Coast, um, and not being far from, um, cities where Jewish populations are more prevalent. Sure. And Philadelphia having its own prevalent Jewish population, I think uh, we had more of them. Like I remember distinctly going to at l- more than four bar and bat mitzvahs when I was ten, <laughs> like or ten or thirteen, whatever. Um, just based on the different ages of people I was in school with. Sure. So,
1: so you know, maybe maybe it's not the same thing that I'm assuming, or maybe it's. Maybe it's similar, but I I can see this and I don't want to accuse like Kimmel of this trying to do like tokenism or anything. Mm. But I feel like in a school that had a few Jewish kids, but mostly Christian kids, you could kind of use this as the hey, you're included in this holiday thing to book. And I'm not that makes it sound like I am I am ascribing like more sinister motives then then this really deserves but i i I could see this being held up as like the hanukkah kids book that gets thrown in with all the like the overwhelming amount of christmas stuff
0: oh yeah i think it has a ve- you know it has a really good structure for it and it has you know by all accounts from you just reading it now and and from my own memory of it like the designs of the characters are up there with any other children's book you know mm-hmm. um Different era, obviously, but they're they're certainly as evocative as some of Seuss and other things that people are are reading. And
1: oh yeah, the the illustrations are amazing. Sendak like and whatnot. That really it 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 re, the pictures and the words would not be as good
0: separate, separate from one yeah. another. Yeah,
1: which which is the case with all of the best like illustrated children's books.
0: Precisely. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it serves. It does serve that purpose of like kind of introducing people who might not be familiar with Hanukkah to the holiday, but I'm sure it also serves as a like fun story to get the, you know, young kids excited about celebrating the holiday. Yeah. Like
1: maybe, maybe, maybe that's what I mean is like, assume you have a bunch of four or five year old kids who have mostly been exposed to their own cultures and not to a lot of other ones. Yeah. I can see this as being like a, a gateway, for kids to start realizing like here is somebody who celebrates something that is not what I celebrate, but has its own traditions and it, it has its own stories and, and it's just as interesting or just as like valid as, as whatever it is that, that I'd celebrate. Yeah.
0: Which is most likely Christmas. Yeah. In this country.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, like I, it's, it's a really entertaining kids book in its own right. Like even if you had no interest in the Hanukkah part of it,
0: yeah, the Hanukkah thing mostly just helps set up the stakes and the structure, right? Mm-hmm. Like it does, you know. Dude outwits a series of goblins could be a cool story, regardless of the premise, right? Um, but those just kind of help feed the particulars of the tale. Yeah,
1: interesting. So I re- I really enjoyed it, and I don't I ha- I you know I was brought up as as people have probably inferred by now, like. American Midwestern white bread Christian, where we didn't we didn't really have our viewpoints challenged a whole lot, mm, yeah. <laughs> and um so most of the stuff that we were exposed to was the um you know was the Christian canon was like the Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer and Rankin Bass and Little Drummer Boy and all that that stuff. Um. So yeah, I mean, I maybe that's part of the reason why I like this book so much is that you know, that, that kind of literature, that kind of stuff exists for, for other people too. And like, as Susanna and I go forward in our lives, like, and you know, there's, if we ever have kids or anything, like we'll, we'll have, you know, we'll have separate elements of both of our childhoods and like both of our cultures that we'll want to introduce them to. And I think that, that this book would be really great for that.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm starting to see that in a lot of people our age, some of whom already have kids and some of whom don't, but probably will in the n- next couple of years of just that, like, mm-hmm. what parts of my life am I going to make sure I put inside my kid whether or not he or she likes
1: <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm going to make my kid play old Nintendo games Yeah, i I'm going to try and gaslight them and pretend, like, newer video game consoles don't exist. Oh, man. If you can keep
0: them... Not touching a smartphone for a series of years. Ugh, I will be impressed.
1: We'll see. We'll see.
0: All right. Well, if uh, if any of our listeners out there have holiday stories that we should have read that you want us to talk about uh, or have fond memories of either of these two stories, you can send those to us. You can email them in at overduepod at gmail.com. You can put them on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash overdue pod, or you can tweet them to us. We had a lot of people tweet at us this week. Uh, Martin was tweeting at us. Uh, Lee and Kara were tweeting at us. Wesley and Alex. uh, Literary Disco, which I think is uh, Sean from Boy Meets World's literary podcast okay so was, we're on their radar was now. tweeting at us today and shout out to alex who actually put us in uh in front of them on twitter um and tenacious cleo was tweeting at us as well so we really appreciate it it definitely lights up andrew and i's day and uh hopefully uh we are doing the same for you guys who are listening so thanks for that andrew if they want to find out more about the show what should they do
1: they should go to our website at overduepodcast.com up there we have amazon links to the books that we have read the ones that we are going to read if you want to support the show clicking those and buying the books or pretty much anything from amazon is the best way to do it um we also have links to our entire back catalog as well as our RSS feed and our iTunes page. If you want to subscribe on iTunes, we would really appreciate if you would also rate and review us. Uh, Rating takes like half a second and reviewing us takes just a little bit longer. Um, We've gotten a couple of really great reviews in the last couple of weeks since we've last recorded. Uh, One from Lauren73, one from Haith7, I think is how I'm going to pronounce that one. Sure. but just it's it's really great to get you guys' feedback. It's really great to hear that you're enjoying the show and ratings and reviews help us climb in the ratings a little bit and help us, you know, expose more people to the show. And that and that's gonna be a big thing that we talk about more in twenty fifteen, I think, is like we've gotten a bunch of like absolutely wonderful listeners who really love the show and interact with us all the time and make us feel awesome. I'm trying and, to get the word uh, out. Yeah and and we just we want to keep that rolling next year. So that's that's our that's our plan, I guess.
0: Yeah. And next week what are we talking about, Andrew?
1: Um I'm reading Lolita for next week. We're actually going to record that episode tomorrow, so if you have any last minute questions about the book you want to sneak in under the wire, you should do it like now
0: <laughs> as we record this
1: episode. Right, just like as you listen to this just get right home and and figure it out. Um, and then do you, do you know what you're going to be recording the week after that well, or are we just going to I think that's our first show of 2015. Yeah I have right? a week long trip uh, to
0: do some reading in and I will uh, assess how much damage I make in uh, Moby Dick while that happens. I'm, I think it'll fit in my bag so my plan is, <laughs> my plan is to get a good chunk of it read right on the on the trip and hopefully that will be our first book of 2015.
1: All right. And uh, just, just know that we are approaching episode 100 and that we're planning some sexy, sexy things.
0: Stop it. Don't even and, say that. that. We got to go. That's,
1: that's all I'm going to say. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, we hope that you enjoyed our holiday show. And over the holiday season, everybody, you should try really hard to do